0: When I heard of her death, I thought how tragic it was. I have to say, I didn't initially think anything except how awful, how tragic. And being old fashioned, (laughs) growing up in in the Bible Belt, my initial thought was, why is a nice late young lady on a boat with three old men? (laughs) Literally, my mind went there like, oh, like, you know, that's not a safe thing for anybody. What's going on?
1: I don't believe it was a spur-of-the-moment death. I believe Wagner had this idea in his head. I, I think because the night before, on Friday night when they were in Avalon and Wagner wanted to take the boat across the island to two harbors where it is less populated and fewer boats, I think he had something in mind for Friday night. He carried it through on Saturday night. ¶¶
2: Hello, and welcome to our bonus chapter of Fatal Voyage, The Mysterious Death of Natalie Wood. I'm your host, Dylan Howard. Faithful listeners of this podcast series have had the facts and rumours surrounding Natalie's death laid bare over the past 12 episodes. Now, we explore perhaps the most explosive theory yet about what happened to Natalie Wood on November 29, 1981. All the old evidence has been re-examined, new evidence has been presented... And new witnesses have come forward. Looked at collectively, we can't help but wonder is it possible that RJ planned Natalie's death? The best way for us to explore the idea that her death was indeed premeditated is to go back in time a bit and examine both Natalie and RJ's state of mind in the few years before the tragedy. Someone who spent lots of time with her during that period was her longtime hairdresser, Ginger Sugar Blimer. Who noticed the star seemed distant?
1: I w- always wonder what would have happened. To her. And she was, she was the last time I worked with her, which was the memory of Eva Riker. She was so beautiful. My husband was drinking at that point, and so was Wagner. And we were working on the Queen Mary. And Natalie was tired, and it was their anniversary. And he wanted her to come home, and he was going to have a party. And she was tired, and we both discussed. That was the time we did discuss. Personal things about how drinking just kind of destroys a relationship. And so that gave me a little feeling of, uh, you know, things not being really happy. But I think the girls made her happy, so she was willing to go along with it. Plus, you know, when you've been kind of the fairy tale couple for so many years and the second time, it's pretty hard to walk out of a
2: relationship, you know? Although Natalie may have been scared to leave RJ a second time. Restarting her career would have given her an added layer of security if they split again. When she left for the North Carolina set of Brainstorm a couple of years after making the memory of Eva Riker, the long simmering tensions reached a boiling point. Here's Lana Wood.
3: There just seemed that there was dissension as far as how her fame was coming to her and where he was. In his career, their careers were so different. And I I think that did not help anything ever because of the type of person R.J. is, because of his ego. She never said anything, but I think she wanted out.
2: She was not, not happy. In previous chapters, we've talked about R.J.'s controlling nature. With Natalie taking time off to raise children, he was the breadwinner and... The star. But with Natalie going back to work, the dynamic would change. RJ would once again be relegated to the lesser Hollywood status of TV star compared with her as a film icon. Also, it seems that Natalie may no longer have been concerned about what the public would think if they broke up again. Author Kathleen McKenna Houston believes we need to follow the money.
4: Then, Natalie, they weren't doing well. Um, maybe it was because she was making a movie again, maybe because she had it with him, maybe because she was going to go to New York and star in a play. She'd save $14 million, which isn't chump change. She'd invested in Aaron Spelling's company right before Charlie's Angels, uh, which turned out to be a huge hit. Oh, she'd done the movie. I mean, all these are signals of a woman getting ready to
2: walk, restart her life. Rumors of betrayal plagued the couple for the duration of their relationship. Years after Natalie's death, A former FBI agent made claims that they'd had a torrid four-year affair. No one has been able to fully substantiate his story, but what's important to note is that Natalie and RJ had a long history of not trusting one another. The idea that in the months before her death, Natalie was enjoying a blossoming friendship and maybe more with actor and brainstorm co-star Christopher Walken kicked RJ's jealousy into overdrive. Dennis Deverne recounts what he heard at the time.
0: I did go out to the movie set out of Burbank Studios. I chit-chatted with some of the people in the, I guess you call it the crew, on the movie set. You know, I had made friends with, you know, like RJ's driver and some other people and stuff like that. and And that was the rumor. And, you know, there had been a couple rumors that, up in New Carolina where where they were filming that movie Brainstorm that, that he and Nat, or Christopher and Natalie had something going on. But one time I even heard that RJ had gone up there to check and see if he was was any truth about that. But um, that was the beginning of seeing Robert Wagner, drastic, drastic change, moods, everything about
2: him, even his looks start to look different. Here's Marty Ruley.
1: He actually told Dennis he was going to try to catch her cheating. And he did not catch her cheating. He came back, he seemed okay. But his complete demeanour changed and he kept getting more into a, a dark place within his personality. He was not happy that while Natalie was away, he was not happy when she returned.
2: So by the time R.J., Natalie and Walken boarded the Splendour that weekend this triangular relationship was a tinderbox. If more people were privy to what was going on behind the scenes, surely this trio would have raised a lot of eyebrows. Marty Rooley has a theory.
1: What attracts me the most to that scenario of premeditation being involved is the fact that the night before, on Friday night of the cruise, Wagner wanted to take the boat to the quiet part of the island for no good reason. It was raining that night, that's the night there was choppy water, that's the night it was cold. Natalie was so afraid that she left the boat with Dennis and they stayed on the island. There's no reason why he would have wanted to move that boat unless there was something sinister going on in his mind. That's what I feel.
2: By all accounts, there would have been no reason for anyone to travel to the more secluded area of Catalina from the livelier Avalon Harbour, especially late at night, unless...
0: There's a possibility that could have been premeditated from the time Robert Wagner wanted to move the boat the night before. And that's when Natalie and I stayed in a hotel, because we did not want to go on the boat and move to the other part of the island, You wouldn't want to really move a boat at nighttime, Catalina Island. The visibility is very poor because it's mostly rocks. It's not a very safe thing to do. It was raining. It was windy. It was just not really the thing to do. You know, what Robert Wagner had on his mind to do that could have, have very well had a bearing on being premeditated.
4: I think that that was the weekend Natalie had to die. I have an idea, let's go to Isthmus, because it'd be very hard to drop somebody over the side of a boat in Catalina Island, even on a weekend. They had another dock at Isthmus in that harbor, but he didn't go there. He anchored out in crappy weather and pouring rain. Why? I mean, none of it makes sense. Thanksgiving weekend, horrible weather, leaving the kids after a terrible fight and out to but it was going down that weekend.
2: As we revealed in Chapter 10, that monstrous argument that resulted in RJ smashing the wine bottle was fueled by the intense jealousy he felt toward Walken. No one could have predicted his outrageous behaviour, but for Natalie, the mood swings and bizarre outbursts in front of her guests must have been absolutely mortifying.
1: Natalie couldn't stand the way RJ treated her guest. She always was so gracious to RJ's guests when they were on board and here she, you know, she was making a film with a bunch of Oscar winners and this was her time to start working again and she was so upset with RJ for just not accepting that. It was it was her life, it's what she did. She'd seen it before. And um, it was there's a story that's written in Gavin Lambert's Natalie biography about um, when she made From Here to Eternity with uh, William Devane, and she and RJ were in a hotel room with other people on the eighth floor, and they were celebrating. I think they had a screening of the show, and they went back to the hotel. R.J. was so jealous of William Devane that he got into one of those jealous, drunken rages again, and he was threatening to throw himself out of the hotel window. Natalie let the other people in the room handle him, and she went to bed. She had other people there. But this night, aboard the Splendor, what happened was all she had was Dennis. It's very likely Natalie Wood said something during the argument that this is it, R.J., I will leave you now. Now you've taken it over the limit. Smashing that wine bottle was the limit. We will see attorneys when we return home. I have no doubt Natalie was that humiliated and that upset that she may have said that to him. And R.J. would, in, in his narcissistic manner in in his sociopath way he could not accept that that another divorce from natalie wood it would have destroyed everything beautiful in their lives which rj also liked too he loved the attention of them being the it hollywood couple and here he had taken it to a point ..of no return with Natalie. And he may, with all the drinking that night, he may have been thinking that she probably means this, which also could have factored into everything that happened after that.
2: Did RJ snap? Could he have planned to kill her all along? The distinction is important if Wagner were to be charged with a crime because, by definition, murder is the premeditated killing of one human by another whereas manslaughter is an unintentional killing. Detective Ralph Hernandez explains. Due to
0: statute of limitations, the only charge here would be murder. A charge where you're looking at life, then such as murder, there is no statute of limitations. It doesn't run out. Manslaughter has a statute of limitations because it's not a life case. But first and second degree murder are life cases, and so there is no statute of limitations we would have to prove murder in order to not just make an arrest but actually charge him in court.
2: So the mindset of Robert Wagner the night Natalie died is obviously important which brings us back to the red jacket she was wearing when her body was found in the water. Dennis Deverne tells us what he heard and saw that night.
0: When I looked down and saw Natalie and RJ arguing on the aft deck she was standing there with her nightgown on, and they were arguing. But then again, from the time it went silent, I had waited a few minutes just to see that maybe if they stopped their arguing, and I was hoping that they, were, that they were making up and they were going to say, hey, look, let's knock this off. Let's go to bed. You know, it'll be better in the morning or something, you know. So I waited a couple minutes, and then I went down below and that's when Robert Wagner said Natalie was missing. I think that Robert Wagner put the red vest on Natalie to make it look like she had bumped her head and fell in the water while trying to get into the dinghy. I believe that his story was already made up in his mind at that time.
1: Actually, the coat has something to do with premeditation because you're putting that coat on her body for a reason to make it look like she left the boat to make it appear that she was going somewhere he had told The Coast Guard captain who showed up that, oh, I thought maybe she was out partying on other boats like she always does. Natalie really never did that. They usually had their own little private parties aboard their own boat. Sometimes they would go boat to boat and socialize with other people, but not in her night count. The coat, I really, truly believe, is such a major factor in this case because she was not wearing it when they argued on the rear deck and then she is found wearing her coat. Who knows, you know, why a person would put a coat on somebody. Uh, Maybe a purpose was that it would sink her. Maybe that she would never be found or not found for weeks. That's something that's only in the mind of the person doing these things and creating this situation. But I do believe it all lends to premeditation in this case and i really don't think the case would be open and active if the law didn't think that too
3: when dennis first told me that that was not the way natalie died i i I never totally accepted that silly story anyway but i didn't think about it i couldn't think about it i thought i was powerless But when Dennis called and told me what he did, that R.J. is responsible, I did not get angry at Dennis. I I felt the pain in his voice and what he was going through in having to hold that inside all these years and how it was tormenting him. He was in tears. He had to finally come out and say, I never felt any anger towards him. I certainly still do not think it was ever premeditated, but he ended her life. He ended her life. And I don't care, you know, what anybody wants to call it. He was responsible for ending her life. By putting all those words together and saying it out loud, there's no way I can hide from the truth. And it's still a painful thing.
0: We'd love to solve this case. We'd love to come to the truth. Whatever that truth might be, we would love to at least bring closure to the people that deserve to know the truth.
2: Fatal Voyage is executive produced and hosted by me, Dylan Howard, and American Media Incorporated. Executive producers also include Kelly Garner, and Carolina Saavedra from Treefort. Engineering, mixing, scoring, and original music by Tom Monahan. Additional editing by Josh Workman. Make sure to subscribe to Fatal Voyage on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.